Well, good morning. I don't know about you, but we have installed a revolving door at our house at that time of the year, and so it's kind of taken a little of the fun out of my thunder because I haven't been able to yell at the kids, close that door, because somebody's either going out of it or coming in it. So the door's been wide open, seems like the last month at our house, and I'm sure it has for many of you too, traveling and coming and going. So let me echo Steve and, and say how welcome uh, we want our guests to feel, and we're glad that you are with us this morning. You had a lot of choices, I'm sure, of maybe where you could worship or where you would stop, and we are glad that you chose to be with us, some of you joining your family this morning, and I know that they are glad to have you with them. You ever had somebody lie about you, somebody tell a lie about you, Uh, maybe something that uh, you didn't say, or maybe it was something that uh, you didn't do, but yet you heard they had said you did or said you had said it, or maybe they retold something in a way that you didn't say it. So it came across as, as, as untrue and maybe put a bad light on you, cast a bad light. And, and so as they do that, if that retelling gets around, the more people that, that hear that, that becomes true. <laughs> and so people can be convinced that a lie is the truth depending on how wide it's spread, and how many people are are talking about it. Maybe I can even convince myself that their version of me is correct. I mean, you hear it enough, well, maybe that is what I said. Maybe that is what I did. Maybe that is who I am. And so, I mean, if enough people feel strongly that I've lied or if I've been dishonest, then maybe that I did. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's true. And isn't that how the tide of public opinion turns so quickly? You can see that. Just watch the evening news. or Wait, no, don't do that. I've been urging you not to do that. So, But it seems that this is the position that God has been placed in the minds of many people today. And so God can't be trusted because what he says doesn't happen and what he promises doesn't come true. So God must be a liar. And after a while, the more people who proclaim and who promote that thought, the more begin doubting the honesty of God. It becomes a public opinion. And so this entire process develops from this narrow human understanding of life and and of, of process and outcome and of scale. And so in short, we're short sighted people and we have short term memories. And so what have you done for me lately? That's what we want to know. Right. So this kingdom view of life and of of process is an outcome is so much broader than most times than what we're able to bring into focus. And so, which is why we have to live by faith, because faith is not blind, but faith is also not self-reliant. Faith doesn't depend on on me and, and my understanding of things. And so you can't remote start your faith in the baptistry and then think it's just going to keep running indefinitely. It's not automatic. Start it up. It's not like one of those um, Roombas, you know, that you just turn on and it goes and does its thing. That's not how faith works. Faith requires maintenance. Faith requires attention. Faith requires movement in order to grow. And so faith must grow in order to remain healthy. And in order for our faith to grow, we have to stretch our physical limitations, the limitations that are imposed on us by this struggle of sin. It's it's a human condition, right? We have limitations on our courage. Faith takes courage, so we have to stretch in that. We have limitations on on our our suffering and and endurance. I can only handle so much. Faith takes me a little bit further. Our view of what life is supposed to be about, there are limitations on that. Faith extends that. 
And so we have to shrink our cynicism towards what life doesn't turn out to be. And that's where Satan's lies are perpetuated by others. That's where they begin to erode our faith. Because it was supposed to be this way, and it's not, is it? So it becomes God's fault. And if God were the good God He claims to be, life wouldn't be so hard. This wouldn't be so hard. Life wouldn't be so sad. People wouldn't be so poor. Meanness wouldn't be allowed to go unchecked. If God were good, if He were who He says He is, the first lie ever told about God was that He was holding out on us, right? That's what the serpent convinced Adam and Eve of. God's holding back on you. He doesn't want you to grow and to experience all of this greatness. So that became a lie in their minds. And so all the murder and the the social devastation that we see, all the violence in the world flows from people grasping power that was never intended to be theirs. It's God's power. God is the one who's supreme. Remember when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Behind their request was this attempt to, to kind of sort the lies from the truth. Because they looked around and they saw all of their religious leaders and they had all these, these, these wordy performances that, that were going on and their public worship, their public display of this is what faith is, this is what looks like to, to, to have God's favor. They were trying to sort that out. Is this really how it's like? Lord, we've heard them. You, you teach us to pray. How do you say we should pray? And so just like the, the kings that humans have known... You know, you get, you know, you ask, are we approved or, or disapproved? That's how folks are, are, have this view of God. We're waiting for the, is it the thumbs up or thumbs down? And so that's the lie that these religious leaders were perpetuating with their eloquent, wordy prayers. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, So pray this way. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we ourselves have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so this this kingdom of God that we've been considering, this, this already that we're added to, when we commit our lives to Christ and baptized, and, and then there's this not yet, there's this, this element that we're going to have to come to experience in eternity. So this kingdom of God then, this, this whole perspective, is like no man-made kingdom ever established. It's completely unique. You, you can't put it in the same realm. And so when, when we try and, and compare or measure the kingdom activity of God against our own kingdoms, what we can see and what we can create on this earth, we quick, quickly recognize there are deficiencies. There are deficiencies this comparison brings to life. Now, where we see the deficiency depends on whether we are living by cynicism or living by faith. So the deficiency is either going to be in the kingdom of God or it's going to be in the kingdom of man, depending on our view. And so it's within this kingdom of faith that Jesus says we must live. He says in Matthew 7 and verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock. And the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Is there anyone among you, if his son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
And so how you view this passage determines how you view the nature of God. Disney's remade their animated uh, Aladdin into this kind of live action uh, digital combination. Will Smith playing the genie and many of you have seen it. And so when Aladdin, as you know the story anyway, Aladdin rubs the magic lamp. The genie appears, pops out and says, what wish may I grant for you? And so what an awesome idea that we could find a magic lamp, that we could rub that lamp and a genie would pop out and say, hey, what can I do for you? And so many people would treat prayer. They would treat prayer as the magic lamp. And when I rub that magic lamp, this, my genie God is going to pop out. He's going to grant my every wish. So when our wishes don't come true, then God's failed. He's failed in His purpose. He's my wish-granting God. And my wish didn't come true, so something's wrong with God. But that is a flawed narrow, unbiblical understanding of the nature of God. And it's, it's a thinking trap that disciples can sometimes fall into. You cannot read the Bible, the, the whole record within the, the pages of the Bible. You cannot read the Bible and come away with a logical belief that God will grant your every wish. You cannot do that. My, not my wishes, not your wishes, not anyone's wishes. Ask, seek, knock. Those look great on some decorative framed art. They look great on the wall, wall of my house. You could put those same words on a playbill advertising Aladdin. Ask, seek, knock. But there's this bigger, deeper meaning as Jesus directs us regarding how to approach this God of creation. And so some would pull these words out and they would say, well, we're going to apply this to all of life, right? We're going to apply this Scripture to all of life. When this Scripture is intended to be viewed within the whole story of the Bible, God's plan for humanity, it's a lot bigger than one verse or two verses. And so when we pull this Scripture out of its place, many times we do it to, to serve us. It's self-serving when we cherry-pick verses. And instead of applying the truth of Scripture to our present life, then we tend to want to apply our narrow perspective of present life to the universal, timeless truth of Scripture. We get it backwards. We take a backwards approach. And that breeds cynicism. And it breeds mistrust because God doesn't fit in my lamp. And so we want to define God's holiness and goodness based on our experiences. If life is good, God is good. If life is unfair, if life is miserable, then God is a miserable God. Jesus says, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Well, this sounds like Santa Claus, Jesus, right? He sounds like he's inviting us to sit on God's knee. What would you like today, Sean? God has not revealed himself to be like this. And so even though Jesus invites us to, to yes, to ask and to seek and to knock before the Father, he's also taught us to pray Thy will be done. So you can't remove that. You can't separate those. Ask, seek, knock, and thy will be done. It's God's kingdom come. And many times what, what we think we need, it doesn't line up with God's will for our lives. His greater will. You know, God's got a way bigger picture than, than we can see, right? And so the sin of this fleshly existence, we, we battle with this sin called selfishness. 
Because I want it my way. I want it to benefit me all the time. Not sometimes. I always want it to be good for me. And so I want what's best for me. And what's best for me is what I think is best for me, right? And it's usually in this moment. And it's influenced by emotion and, and unchecked desire and the selfish want that grows within me. We're spoiled. We are spoiled in so many ways. And we have an entitlement mindset. And that can trickle over so that we come before God with sort of an entitlement. Oh, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't say that out loud. We wouldn't even, you know, overtly think it. But there's an inkling there. There's an inkling there. Because, hey, it's, it's me, God. It's John, right? And so this so named prosperity gospel has been an, an empire of. False teaching built on this prosperity gospel. Name it and claim it. That's a phrase. Just say what you want, God will grant it, right? Blab it and grab it. (laughs) Health and wealth. And they base this thinking on passages like Matthew chapter 7. Just ask. Just ask. But I did. And He didn't. Well, you just need more faith. You just need more faith. Think about this. You think about a Christian who's living in the Middle East. You think about a Christian who's living in Asia today, right now, who's hiding in secret. Because if they profess Jesus Christ, then they will be imprisoned, tortured, or even put to death right now, today. And they are not healthy. They are not wealthy. Are they not faithful? I've ventured to say in many ways they're more faithful than I am. And while the kingdom of God is built on faith, it's built on faith in Jesus. In Jesus who loves me and gave Himself for me and for you. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in the body... I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me, for you. And so to live by faith is to trust in the goodness of God and not rely on our nearsighted vision. Because that's what plagues this present world. We can't see past the end of our nose. So Jesus tells us because He knows, because He knows, many are going to wonder whether or not we should even bother. Should I even bother to pray? I've been praying. It's not coming true. Should I even bother? He says back 7 and verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. See, prayer is not, a, it's not an add-on. It's not an additional add-on to this journey of the believer. Prayer is necessary. Prayer is a must. And, and realize this, Jesus is speaking here, the scene on the hillside as he's doing this Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking here to, to would-be disciples, people, some of whom have already committed them li- their lives to his teaching and to following God. He's speaking to folks who would be disciples here, the people who are following him, looking for God's direction, seeking God's will. How do I obey God? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? This is not a universal application for everyone. Ask, seek, knock. This is for disciples. This is a great benefit 
to living in the kingdom of God, living under his kingdom reign. And so it's not a self-serving invitation. So Jesus instructs us on how to glorify God. And his words here fall right in line with all of these instructions. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Right. That's what Peter wrote about. First Peter five. We saw that last week. Then we have earlier prayer instructions. You know, when we seek God's will is God's your will be done. And so we shouldn't be afraid of coming before God. And asking him. And we don't have to send our prayers through someone else. Well, maybe, maybe I need somebody, maybe I need a preacher to do this praying. Maybe I need an elder to do this praying. Maybe I need somebody who's been a Christian longer to do this praying. Christ is our mediator. Our confidence is not in ourselves, it's in Christ. He gives us the confidence to come before the Father. And so this position of humility keeps our, our confidence rightly placed. It keeps us in check. And so as an employee, think about this. How would it go over? Some of you might have tried this at your previous job. How would it go over as an employee if you went into your boss's office and said, I want this. You make this happen. How would that go over? I don't think so well. You know, they're the boss. You're the employee. How would you approach that? You would do it respectfully, right? You would approach respectfully. And we must not treat God any less then we would treat someone in that position. God's not our boss, but how are you going to treat a boss better than you treat God? How are you going to give the attitude to, to, to a supervisor higher than you would give an attitude to God? It's remarkable because the, the God whose very words brought all of this universe into existence, the God whose very hands are the ones that formed all living things, He invites us to share our measly words. Powerful God says, pour out your heart to me. Ask, seek, knock, put your life, your fragile life into my mighty hands. And we can do this because his wisdom's perfect, unlike ours. Ours is not. So James tells us that we ask and we don't receive because we ask wrongly. We ask amiss, the wrong motives, wrong attitudes, the wrong approach. Humble yourself. And so we think God doesn't answer prayer. We think God doesn't answer prayer when all the time He just knew that what we were asking for wasn't the right thing. It wasn't the right thing. It's not what we needed. It's not what they needed. It's not what needed to happen. But it doesn't seem that way to us. Even Aladdin's genie, if you know this, if you've seen it, even Aladdin's genie had things he could not do. He wasn't allowed to do. It just was impossible to do because it would have had unintended consequences. And so if God knows what is best, I believe He does. Scripture sure speaks to that. I think someone who created a human body knows what's best. If He's going to give us what is best, why does He want us to pray then? Why don't He just do it? God, you know, just do it, you know. You know what we like? Just do it. Just do it for us. How come he doesn't do that? Remember, God allowed Israel to be taken into captivity because they, they had rejected him. They, they sinned against him, right? They turned their back on God. They, they began relying on themselves. God was their genie in a bottle. And he provided for them every step of the way. And so generation after generation, they became more self-reliant, self-absorbed, self-focused. Self-attentive? And what happened? Removed from their land? Removed from their provision? Removed from the, their way of life? 
created this life for themselves and now it was gone. And so now they're realizing, hey, we can't make a way where there seems to be no way. We can't do it. We're... And so what? They couldn't get themselves out of this mess that they created. So where do they turn? Well, God promised them after the consequences of your disobedience, because there's some consequences here. There's a lesson to be lesson to be taught and hopefully learned after these consequences. When the time is right, Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 29 and in verse 10, then God says, I will fulfill my gracious promise to you and restore you to your homeland. For I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. And when you call out to me and come to me in prayer, I will hear your prayers. And when you seek me in prayer and worship, you will find me available to you. If you seek me with all your heart and soul, I will make myself available to you, says the Lord. And then I will reverse your plight and will regather you from all the nations and all the places where I have exiled you, says the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I exiled you. When, God? When are you going to do this? When the time is right. What time? God's time. It's God's time. And for them, the right time was when they realized that God was the the giver of all these good gifts. When they realized it was all from Him, that was the time. He's the provider. He's the comforter. And we have to rely on Him. And so they've taken this for granted. And they become entitled. So God wants us to grow. He wants us to grow into the likeness of, of His blessed Son. And we cannot do that until we humble ourselves like Jesus did. And so what does prayer do? Prayer reminds me that I am but dust. I am but dust. And although we put a man on the moon, we could not have done that without a moon. You can't put a guy on a moon if you don't have a moon. And you can't get him there some 238,000 miles away. You cannot get him there without the technology and the knowledge and the elements And all of these things were created and allowed by God. I am but dust, so I ask, and I seek, and I knock. And these words, they weren't intended to be dissected into separate ways. What does it mean to ask? What does it mean to seek? What does it mean to knock? It's a form of writing. This is is emphasized, it's emphatic. On this approach to God, it emphasizes the the extraordinary openness of this promise of God. Ask, seek, knock, however you get to me, come to me, God says. It's me and I will make myself available to you in every way if you will seek me. He wants to increase our faith, increase our dependency on him so that he can increase his blessings, and thereby increase His glory. And so as the, the frequent characterization of God as, as your Father in heaven, it prompts this analogy of, of, of a human parent, human parenthood. And so we see in Matthew 7 and verse 9, is there anyone among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will, will give him a snake? These are rhetorical questions. The obvious and expected answer is no. We wouldn't do that. That's not how we would treat a, a child. So God's care is far more than even the best human parent 
can give to their child. And God's care is never less than the best human parent would give to their child. Our assumption of what parenting ought to be and ought to be like, it's a valid pointer towards this this greater parental concern that our Heavenly Father has for us. And so Jesus uses rhetorical questions, makes his point here. We might sometimes think that it's God's lack of love that causes our prayer to fall on deaf ears. Maybe it's because God doesn't love me. But God is love. He is love. And so His actions are always from a position of love. His love for me and His love for you. His love for His children. So our our human deficiency is that we, we might be hungry and we need food to survive. This is our human position. God, I'm starving to death. I'm so hungry. Give me a stone so I can chew on it. Give me a stone so I can, I can be filled. Now, we wouldn't call it a stone. We would call it, God, I need this to make me better. I need this to make me happy. I need this to fix my problem. We think it's bread. But God in His infinite wisdom knows that if He provided that stone for me, it's going to break my teeth. It's going to ruin my digestion. It's going to cause tremendous pain. It's going to maybe short-term financial loss. Long-term emotional pain. See, God can see the full impact of my request. Not only on me, but everyone around me. You've seen those, those shows and, uh, you know, The Last Avengers, you know. they Spoiler? No. So there's some time travel involved, right? Well, you know, any anytime there's time travel involved, the person going back in time or going forward in time is told what? Don't mess with anything. Don't mess with anything because if you move one thing, what can happen? A domino effect and you have no idea the consequences of your action. God knows the consequences of our requests. And in His infinite wisdom, seeing more than just my little bitty picture, God knows that answering my request, how that's going to ripple into the world around me. Way beyond me. See, all I see is God ignored my prayer. So God must not love me. Right? Or my faith is too weak. See, I need more faith because God's not answering my prayer. Or my position is is not high enough. I need to move myself up the spiritual ladder here so God will answer my prayer. That's all I see. Or my past is too wicked. My future is too uncertain. And all these doubts. All these lies are used by Satan to to disrupt and corrupt my attempt to follow the example of Jesus. So that, you know what? I just quit. I just quit trying. Why pray? Why even pray anymore? I've been praying. God didn't answer my prayer. So why bother? Why pray? Well, because Jesus says, if you then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts, hang on that, good gifts, To your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? And the word good here is not limited to to type or even quantity. Think about this. When somebody speaks of of loving parents, you know, growing up in maybe a a loving household or loving caregivers, they use the phrase what? They provided a good home for me. They provided a good home for me, right? Or they provided a good life for me. That means so much more than just a physical dwelling. We didn't have roof leaks. It means so much more than that, right? The water ran. It means so much more than that. Comfortable bed. They provided a good home. No, there were days. There were experiences. There were times you didn't enjoy. (laughs) 
You just think about it. You didn't prefer certain days. You didn't ask for certain days, right? But within their ability, you were cared for to a degree that the overall experience was good, right? Provided a good home. So how much more then? How much more then will God, a perfect loving Father, provide a good life for you? There are days you will not enjoy. There are experiences that you will not prefer. There are things that you will not ask for. But it's God's care and God's provision that extends beyond what you and I can experience within the confines of this beautiful blue orb that we are walking about on. So the Apostle Paul after recounting all of his ups and downs, his, his trials of life, how, the, how through the strength of Christ, he was able to endure the hardships that he faced. And he was able to enjoy the, the triumph. And so he reminds us in Philippians, as he writes this beautiful letter, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, he says, And my God will supply your every need according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. May glory be given to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Well, how can, he, how can He supply our every need according to His glorious riches in Christ? How can He do that? Because He knows what we truly need. He knows that. And not in the fleeting moment of desire, but in this grand view of eternity. God's big picture. Within this vast expanse of His kingdom reign. And it's hard for us to see. It's, hard, it's near impossible for us to see. Especially when we fail to look through the lens of faith. We must live by faith, not by sight. God wants to give us good gifts. He wants to bless us, not to spoil us, not to pamper us, and certainly not to pacify us. Paul writes again in Romans 2 and verse 4, Do you, do you have contempt for the wealth of His kindness, His forbearance and patience, and yet do not know that God's kindness leads you to repentance? See, the kindness of humans is more times than not, it's to repay someone else. Someone, someone calls and, and asks you, to, can you, can you help with this? Or can you help me do this? All of a sudden, you start going through just, you know, pretty quickly, the whole file box. Oh, let's say, oh yeah, they helped me out this time. Or, hey, we've had a good relationship, so, you know, they've, they've been nice to me. I'll do this. You know, we, we start quantifying our, 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 our helping are fulfilling this need. Not all times, but more times. <laughs> so, so why is God good to us? Why is He good to us? So that we would be drawn nearer to Him. He wants to draw us nearer so that we'll walk closer to Him, so that we'll recognize our own shortcomings and we will repent. So that when we repent, we might draw even closer still. God's intent is always to lead us to greater faithfulness and to, to create in us this, this deeper reliance on Him and His goodness and be a more committed disciple. See, faith believes in God's good intentions. Hear this. Faith believes in God's good intentions. And perseverance rides the conveyor belt of uncertainty until those good intentions are fully realized. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
Is there anyone among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So the point of this discourse here is not to to guarantee that God is going to grant our every wish. The point of of Jesus' words here is not to prove that, that if our wish is not granted, then that means that something's wrong with us. That's not the reason here. Ask, seek, and knock. These are to assure us that God is accessible anytime. He is always accessible to us. And He invites us to Him just as a child would come to their parent. His interest for us is the best. And it's beyond what we can even hope for ourselves. We can even imagine. And in this position of humility... We will somehow, through through God's grace and mercy, find ourselves exalted to the throne of the great I Am who was and is and, and is to come. And this is a kingdom view, this relationship with God. It's one that's so much broader, so much more vast than even we can most times bring into focus. And that's why we have to live by faith. That's the life of faith. Faith which comes by hearing. And that hearing by the Word of God. It's a Word that reaches from the heavenly kingdom all the way to God's kingdom come. Do you hear God's voice today? Inviting you, imploring you, ask, seek, knock, because I'm just waiting on you, my precious child. God is waiting on you. He's waiting on me. you come to God today, God hasn't turned His back on you. See, sin, that's the lie of sin. That's the, 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 the danger that we get ourselves into and we allow those thoughts to, to, to seed in our mind. Satan takes his needle and thread and tries to sew them in there. You must repent of sin because sin is going to keep you from this beautiful relationship that God wants with you. When you confess that and you repent and God is faithful to forgive, He sent His Son to this earth so that Jesus could experience this life, experience the disappointment, experience the triumph, experience the uncertainty. The Son of God, uncertainty? Absolutely. All things, just as we are, yet without sin. And God did that and watched His Son, allowed His Son to take that walk to the cross, to be nailed there until His last breath for you and for me. Placed in a tomb, shut up, rejected from the world until the third day when God rolled that stone away and raised Christ up triumphant for eternity so that you and I could take our place with them in heaven someday. And today they will walk with us by the power of God's Spirit. If you will come to Christ today, place your faith in His hands, your life, in His trust. Make Him your Lord and Savior. Be baptized today. If we can help you in any way, we're going to stand and sing a song right now. Will you come?